Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast and your week in IndyCar listener Q&A episode. Recording this a an evening later than usual. It is Tuesday evening, 8.10 p.m. Holy cow, I sat down here 40 minutes ago. What happened to the time? Uh, here we are on a Tuesday night coming out of the drink alcohol that's flavored. I don't remember what it was called. The big something or other uh, such and such indie road course race won by our man, DJ Willie P. William Jehoshaphat Antonius Aloysius Power. <sighs> Can't wait to get into your questions here. Everything, of course, powered by you. It's what I love about this show. I mean it. I'm not pandering. I love doing my Q&A shows each week, this one and also the weekend sports cars with my co-pilot, Graham Goodwin, because it's fun. Like, it really is. Maybe it's because when you do this long enough, like I have and others have, like the curiosity of others, that being you, like that's the invigorating thing. Like I do this for a living. I think about it all day, every day, at night, in the morning. I wake up thinking about angles and stories and complications of the championship and like that's kind of the space that i live in and others live in as well and so truly like the energy that i get from y'all in the stuff you send in whether it is very serious whether it is very silly y'all bless me with both each week that fits my personality um it's just something i really appreciate so thank you all for everything you send in uh, Cooper Tires, they do truly support us in an immense fashion with love and encouragement and social media pushes. Uh, they help make all this stuff possible, just as the Justice Brothers do, the makers of amazing automotive, and I'd even say motor racing, chemicals and lubricants. Use them throughout my entire career, back when I was a, a mechanic, and then this, that, and the other in motor racing. Then finally, our pals at torontomotorsports.com. They have been supporting the heck out of us for uh, most of my podcast's tenure. Joined, they were my first partner, and they are my longest tenured partner. Uh, they have also been great partners for IndyCar fans, not just with the look them up on the good old interwebs at torontomotorsports.com and buy the various memorabilia that they have to offer, but... This year, hit the road, bought a big merchandise trailer, gone to a number of races, including last weekend on the IMS road course. And so I know many of you enjoy catching up with Derek Koska, the owner of TorontoMotorsports.com, Roger Wark, the amazing artist, uh, his partner in this uh, mobile merch trailer venture, and who also does pretty much every little piece of art that you see uh, surrounding my shows and whatnot. So big thanks to those three for all that they do. Before we get rolling with your Q&A, give you a couple of updates here. <sighs> yes, massive thank you once again to so many of you and my, my, my great family at Racer Magazine who were kind enough yet again to start a GoFundMe page to support my wife and I in this new, uh, I guess, return to fighting breast cancer uh, adventure that we are on uh, it's been two weeks now or so since we got that news, uh, might've been long. I don't remember, but it's been, I think it's been two weeks now. It truly things are a blur and my head is an even bigger mess than usual. So bear with me, but 
huge thanks to them for starting that. Uh, there's a lot of questions about what's ahead uh, from a cost standpoint, from a changes in life, and you name it standpoint while we, uh, we go after cancer to uh, defeat it again. Mention that I uh, would also normally have my IndyCar cool-down lap column, uh, my rewind column done by now. Just been a little bit of a busy Monday, Tuesday start to the week. Spent, I don't know how long, an hour plus to close the afternoon over at the new healthcare system uh, that we will be starting uh, not too long from now as we jump back into the aggressive kill the cancer chemo treatments and spent more than an hour there with really amazing, uh, amazing nurse. My wife not really feeling, she's not in a super awesome place right now in terms of uh, health and being able to head out of the house. So I headed over, sat with the nurse, um, my wife on FaceTime, and the three of us went through all the various new procedures and protocols for going through this process there in their system. And that's not a abnormal thing. It's kind of a almost a, hey, you're about to start a new school year. Come on in and let's talk about how we do things here. So uh, that was the, uh, the general premise of getting to know how they do things and what to look forward to. And so anyways, positive, right? Really positive and encouraging feel to it all. And obviously hoping that my lady is feeling better here soon before we have to jump off on this journey that's going to be rough for all involved. So <sighs> keeping us moving on our feet, time and free time, it's uh, it's an old friend that we haven't seen for a while. None of that's a complaint. Just look, that's where we're at in life. Uh, I'll share something that I had this conversation with a few people over uh, the weekend while I was in Monterey. I'll get to that in just a sec. Um, couple, well, I shouldn't say a couple folks. I, I truly, I couldn't even keep track of how many asked about my wife, sent her well wishes, whether it was extending prayers for those who aren't ones of faith, just extending all the positivity they could offer. And a number of folks say, how are you? How you doing? And I just had to say, I don't know. Like, I don't. Uh, I couldn't tell you. This is just not a place where you are rooted in normalcy. And everything's just like, hey, I woke up and I did my thing. And I fed the animals. And I loved on my loved ones or the kids or the whatever. And I went to the job. And I, you know, ate a burrito and watched some TV and woke up and did it all over again the next day it's kind of stuff just it's just pulling at you at all times so pulling at your your mind your spirit your emotions your energy and so you just feel like i shouldn't say you that's i because i can't claim that any there are others who deal with this far better than i do but i'm in a fairly constant state of feeling like I am in a washing machine, just being spun and spun and spun and spun and slow down and stop, and then spin it up again and like just constantly spinning. And so trying to stay on top of things, 
trying to be a productive member of society, trying to take care of my wife, trying to be a, a professional now and type some of them word stories and yap and flap my gums into a microphone and taking some photographs and some videos and all the stuff that's work that helps sustain our life and allows us to do these things. Uh, yeah. So for those who are newer listeners to the show, uh, and I probably don't need to say this for those who've been listeners for a couple of years now. Um, when we really jumped into this hardcore breast cancer fight a couple years ago, I can guarantee you uh, the first couple months of this show, and I'm sure my sports car shows as well, uh, not the most impressive uh, qualifying performances you've ever seen back of the field spun brought out the red flag hit a couple cars like just saying um, I do my best to get my thoughts and everything assembled beforehand but I realize it's making an excuse but I just want to be clear with y'all uh, when things are more normal you definitely get I would say a tighter version of me uh, times like this, as some of my older listeners can attest to when this was jumping off hardcore the last time, um, it's a little bit of the wandering butterfly and trying to track it and stay focused, but doesn't always happen. So I do apologize for those who prefer tighter, crisper podcasts, probably not going to be something I can say is going to happen as often as i would wish for the coming weeks maybe even months so some of y'all need to dive off and enjoy something else that fits that criteria truly i appreciate you and fully understand uh, but this is what i got it's the best that i got it's barely above garbage but it's what i got so monterey uh boy that was amazing I got to see so many people that I haven't seen for years now. And I mean, I rattle off a bunch of names. Some of the folks that you might know from the Tommy Kendall's to the Scott Pruitt's to the, uh, Bill Oberlin's and John Edwards and Connor DeFilippi's and this person and that person. And, uh, Charlie Nierberg, right. Who I still feel bad for myself and some others who we rated as the worst IndyCar driver of all time back, uh, when I was working at speed and I don't know, maybe it was a bit more of a, I don't know what, but anyways, uh, just Bruce Canepa, uh, had lunch on Friday. Like Bruce is like, Hey, let's, you want to go have, you know, come over and join me. We'll, we'll have lunch. We got tacos. How, who's going to turn down tacos, right? Free tacos. They're really good. And former IndyCar driver, but mostly sports car driver, Tom Gloy sat down I'm like, Hey, look at that. Tom Gloy. How you doing, buddy? Uh, the shop I used to work at at Sears Point Forever, Fife Ridge Racing. Uh, Gloy Racing was right next to us. Gloy Sports, or whatever he called himself. So I hadn't seen Tom in forever. Great to see him. So I'm having lunch with Bruce Canepa and Tom Gloy. And then former Super V champion, uh, mostly known for sports cars, uh, but Didier Taze sat down. Hey, Didier Taze, holy crap. Like, this is getting really obscure, and I'm the least deserving person at the table 
And then the fine, fine man of vintage racing that is Chris Vandergriff came and sat down as well. And so anyways, it's just one of those things where I'm sitting there going, wow, uh, I, this is not something I have done as part of life for the past many years. Just, just great. Gunnar Jeanette saw him. Possibly the, the coolest part was just reconnecting with some friends that I had not seen uh, or had strayed from a little bit in recent years. One of them being a recent work colleague, Sam Smith, from Odin Track, who's moved on is with, and is with Haggerty. Another one, uh, Brian Gidinelli, uh, who's now working with Haggerty. Uh, great to see Brian. Probably the coolest, coolest one here. And I know some of you are like, Prue, would you just shut up and get to the q and I'll put a little marker of where that starts. But I do have enough of you who tell me, look, we we get the Q&A and we'll get the Q&A and it'll always be there. But don't be afraid to tell us more about you and your world. So the coolest part for me, without a doubt, was spending what might have been altogether 90 minutes to two hours between Friday, Saturday, and Sunday with a gentleman by the name of Ricardo Pinheiro. Uh, Ricardo was, is probably in the top three most influential people when it comes to me, my career, and me sitting where I am today doing what I'm doing. Uh, before I got to Pfeiffer Ridge Racing, I worked for, not even work, I mean, I was volunteered for a family friend who ran in the SCCA Super V Series. Uh, kind of an older series that would probably fall somewhere in line between uh, Indy Pro 2000 and Indy Lights today. It, it was a really powerful junior open wheel training series where, you know, a lot of the, the greatest IndyCar drivers of the day spent time there. So that's where I got my start. Did that for a couple of years, went to my first actual paying, uh, role as a mechanic, uh, place down in, uh, Silicon Valley TR race service. It was just me looking after like a dozen formula Fords, a couple of formula Ford two thousands, one or two formula Atlantics and, did that, loved it. It was a great, et cetera, et cetera. My first real going to work for a professional racing team, like a real, we do pro stuff on multiple levels and have had great success with it. It's a shop that Jimmy Vassar came out of, won his 1986 Formula Ford SCCA runoffs there and, and really propelled himself out of the shop. Well, that's where Ricardo was the, uh, I guess you could call it crew chief chief mechanic, den mom, uh, guy in charge below our, our boss that we love to hate, Bob Lesnet. Uh, Bob owned the business. Bob was the, the main driver. We had a lot of clients, a whole bunch of things. But Ricardo was the person in charge. And coming in there in 1989 at 18 years old, uh, I had a father, I had a mother. I had a stepmother, actually. I had a stepbrother who's had a full family. Uh, Ricardo was like my dad, but 10 years older than me kind of figure. Um, he was my brother. He was 
my mentor, not just in being a professional racing mechanic, but how to act, how to behave, how to think, how to plan, how to schedule. Um, and then there's all the life lessons. And he was insane, uh, the best kind of insane. He was my driving, one of my driving instructors when I went through SCCA uh, Club Racing Driving School as well. And there's uh, some funny stories there. But just as a person, thinking of uh, yours truly, at 18 years old, having graduated high school or whatever, and my first real job in life, like serious, real, hey, you're, this is something that could become a thing. Um, he was the guy that took me under his proverbial wing. And now granted, he's about six inches shorter than I am, but however he did it, a strong bastard too. High school wrestler. Like I remember, you know, uh, not like I'm big, but I mean, you know, I've always been a tallerish guy and whatever, a little bit of a wider frame and, you know, I, handle people a little bit and the first time i tried that with ricardo uh he how's this that happened once <laughs> just once because he handled my monkey ass like you would not believe to the point of like all right Pruitt, don't even try and do that again he might be much smaller than you oh no he could twist you into a pretzel if he wanted to but this was the guy right who took me realized all right this kid's got some potential uh, he's half an idiot but we can work with that and he truly over the two years that i worked there i came back later but he had gone but whatever during the two full seasons that i was there he poured so much love into me treated me like a member of his family he beat me up, love, you know, just always giving me a hard time, always uh, something just, right, always kept it light, kept it fun, reprimanded me when needed, but not in a way to get me down too much. I mean, he, he rode everybody pretty hard, but just someone that took me as a bit of a unshapen, undefined entity and really did shape me into something that propelled me and allowed me to move on to the next stage in the sport and the next stage and the next stage and i mean there are a number of people there that helped in a lot of ways to do that john ennix another one who i saw last weekend as well um although he'd left when i got there he was still around matt swan right uh he's a fife rich guy who some of you may know from some of what I wrote, uh, was reunited with his old driver, Elio Castro Neves, won the Indy 500 this year, right? Swanee, Pfeiffer Ridge guy, John Ennick, Pfeiffer Ridge, myself, obviously, and Ricardo Pinheiro. Um, I got to spend about a half hour with Ricardo on Friday, again on Saturday, and maybe even more on Sunday. And although we've seen each other, uh, and spoken a little bit here and there, busyness of life and you name it, just did not, I did not make him as much a priority as I should have. And I'm telling you, with what our man Robin Miller is going through, 
knowing that he does have a hard exit in life coming up, knowing that we've just recently lost Bob Jenkins, knowing that one of my dear friends that I used to work with at Pfeiffer Ridge Racing, Ron Chisholm, uh, lost him, what, last year, I believe, um, can just work down the list of so many people, whether they could be race car drivers, team owners, mechanics, whatever, so many people that we have lost in our world due to COVID or just whatever other circumstances. Um, it's been hitting me hard lately. Not necessarily those losses culminating and hitting me hard, but the realization that, hey, Ricardo Pinheiro is a champion in my life and everything that I have today. I can trace back to him and my father and Lesnet and Enik and a few others. And we can move to the next step, Genoa Racing, with the great Angelo Faro, Thomas Knapp, Michael Cannon. I can move to the next step from there and say this per and I'll make sure that I will mention more of these people. You might never know and have no context about other than what I mentioned, but there are a ton of people uh, for, for whom their love, patience, just giving nature, I stand upon them. Never would I have imagined working at Pfeiffer Ridge with Ricardo and all the others preparing USF 2000 cars and Atlantic cars and whatever else is, I would be here today in the sport. First of all, never imagined it was possible, much less talking to you as a member of the media. It's, it's the most bizarre left turn in my life, right? Never. It still doesn't seem real, but I trace so much of this back to this man. And so uh, just being able to spend a lot of time with Ricardo talking about old times, crazy clients with who said that they did one thing for a living, but we knew that because they had a bodyguard who was nine foot 12 uh, and the size of a brick house, and carried guns on them at all times and briefcases loaded with who knows what kind of powdery substance or explosives or, I mean, who knows? Like, just story after story after story of this crew guy, hey, why aren't they here? And you find out, oh, they got arrested for doing that. And, hey, you, you, who, why are you showing up with a black eye? And, oh, well, you know, just... Not only going down memory lane, but talking about today, talking about the experiences uh, of life in general, just a really beautiful thing. So my wife gave me this gift last weekend. Um, I'd been planning on going to this Monterey Reunion Vintage event for quite some time. Obviously, a return, a cancer diagnosis, a you know, week and a half beforehand, probably going to change those plans. She insisted. And of course... You know, I could have just ignored her and stayed home, but she was truly adamant. Go. 
you i want you to go you need to go you're not welcome in this house (laughs) don't come back until sunday night but i need you to go i need you to to see your people return to your tribe and just be your authentic self there uh, before we jump back into this cancer fight again and she was as a spouse can do better than anyone else she saw within me that that was indeed the uh the the spiritual recharging that i needed uh, separate from a a faith based recharging but being around friends seeing race cars hearing race cars uh got to do so many in-car video things uh, and film some video bits uh, that are separate and photograph the heck out of a bunch of cars that are destined for some future uh, features and whatnot. It's just so cool to be there and feel like I had a purpose uh, again at a racetrack. And, uh, boy, my heart is full because of her seeing Ricardo seeing so many others paul fanner from racer magazine got to see him uh, who i haven't seen paul again in a couple years and just bobby ray hall getting to spend some time with bob uh, and wayne brown and ethan shippert and just so many great 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 people saw zach brown a little bit caught up with him uh, not as much as i would like but just folks where you go my people, my people, my people. And sometimes I hope, sometimes, not often, but sometimes I open that show saying that, my people, my people. And that's where it comes from, part of this tribe we're in as racers. And so thank you to y'all for this gift that you give me of being able to talk to you every week and to feel normal even if it's only for an hour and a half or two hours flapping my gums about whatever y'all send in um just know that even on the days where i'm super tired or low energy or my mind's in a million places and distracted as it is right now uh, y'all give me a little desert island of peace and fun and a break from things and it means so much. So with all that said, I'm going to hit a little marker here so I can tell those who just want the Q&A where to start. And we are indeed going to get rolling here, a little bit of music bet as well. We normally do tradition for the silly little show with the questions put together by dear listener, dear pal, Jim Kaiser. Thanks so much, Jim. Uh, you, every week you pull the thorn from my paw. And make my life so darn easy with this. All right, we're kicking off with who? It's kind of the best screen name, Twitter handle I could think of, and that's why Jim used it. Melodious Funk. Absolutely. Not Felonious Monk, but Melodious Funk. Says, Will Power definitely had a roller coaster ride the past two races. Do you think Nashville was an anomaly for him? 
To be fair, it was a crap show for all drivers, but he seemed out of sorts the past few races, and Nashville didn't seem like him at all. Uh, Will Power, who is our guest tomorrow, when you're listening to this, probably today. i got to stop doing that. Uh, anyways, Will Power is our guest this week. I can't wait to speak with him. Um, no. Like my brain, Will Power and I, we've been good pals for just about the moment from the moment that we met and it's because we share very similar brains he's more comfortable in letting all of the wackiness out uh maybe i need to let more of it out um will as he knows has said has written acknowledged you name it if not but for greater consistency Will Power would be a four-time NTT IndyCar Series champion? Five? Um, Will's one great liability throughout his career has been inconsistency. There are times, and I'm just preaching to the choir, I'm sure, who know his story, but there are so many times where when Will needed to have a good finish, but not great, but just get home, get some good points, add more to your championship lead, or draw down on whomever you're chasing. Um, that roller coaster ride, that roller coaster would appear somehow. It's locking up a break, going into turn one at so and so, and you lose three spots, and now all of a sudden you're. You were net positive uh, on who you're chasing for the title, and now you leave the race uh, with a, a greater deficit. Uh, it's a spin. It's a contact. It's a running over a something on pit lane. It's a stall. It's a whatever. Um, that's the thing that, unfortunately, is going to be hand-in-hand hand from a historical perspective with Will, uh, unless he's able to correct some of these things in the final years. We know he's got an, I believe another year in his uh, contract. Who knows if that'll extend beyond that, but um, that's been the thing. So Nashville was a low Nashville was among the lowest of lows that I can recall for will career wise of making mistakes, just driving out of his brain and but then, as I've written, and who knows if you've read it by now and published with my cool-down lap, this is a classic willpower rebound. He dominated the Indy Road Course race. I know he's won there a hundred times. I realize he's excellent there. But for someone to have a Nashville weekend like his, to get absolutely reamed, from what I've heard, uh, from his bosses afterwards to come out and be in the position that he was didn't get the pole but was right there air mclaren sp as we saw made the wrong tire choice tire strategy by comparison to those who finished ahead of them uh you know it's not like they knew it at the time they intentionally chose the wrong strategy but uh starting off uh, as they did with Pato, uh, that turned out not to be the uh, right plan. So what happened over that opening, that first stint? Well, 
Pato had folks more or less covered, drew out a nice, beautiful uh, advantage, and then off you go. And what happened the moment that uh, that second pits round of pit stops got done? Well, things kind of sort of got turned on their head a little bit. And all of a sudden, what's going on? Well, we do have a case where, indeed, uh, William Power and quite a few others went forward. Pato went backwards. And it's in that interaction, right? Or Will coming off of making a bit of an ass out of himself at Nashville. How risky do you play it? How hard do you play it in that following race after being reamed? Well, he struck the perfect balance. Pato firing off on used reds while everyone else, at least those who finished ahead of him in the race, started on new primaries. Uh, yeah, he used those reds, built a gap in the minute things inverted, um, and he went to primaries for the second stint. Everyone else went to reds. Power was right there, first in line to capitalize, threw down in whatever the last, next to last corner is or two quarters from last, whatever number that is, threw down and made a bold pass, didn't limp around for laps, playing it safe, thinking about, man, I just hit everything but the pace car at Nashville. I just got chewed out by my bosses. Uh, let me tippy-toe. No. Uh, perfect balance. Ultimate decisiveness. Took the lead. Gone. Classic willpower. How many times have we seen that in the past where power is just impossible to deal with? Right, His speed, his consistency, when everything is working for will and there are zero, zero deficiencies in his game, he cannot be touched, can't be caught. Um, that's what I saw. That is what, uh, that is what I, without a doubt, loved seeing knowing that this guy, boy, uh, he made a mess of himself, mess of his team, and what a perfect way to put that behind you. What a perfect way, as you mentioned. Um, was it just out of character? No, but he made us forget about it pretty darn quickly, and that is very much a willpower thing. So glad to see him get everything collected and put a stomping on everybody. So I do think we might see one or two more of those this year because when he gets locked into that mindset, that's when it gets hard to... That's when it gets really hard to deal with willpower. Uh, Staying in that mindset from race one to the final race, that's been the challenge for him throughout his career. That's why he is a one-time title winner instead of four or five. But the streakiness of Will, when he is able to latch on to that no mistakes, attack, destroy, you are all my prey. (laughs) And I'm going to devour all of you. When he gets into that headspace, he's often able to hold on to it for a little bit. So if we are talking about Will Power, winner of the Gateway Worldwide Technologies Raceway round on Saturday night, and then Portland, Will Power, your winner. And, you know, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if the guy goes on a roll because we've seen him do that before. 
Uh, I'm going to take a sip of water here. And we're going to go to Wilfla29 uh, from the good old Reddit. Hey, MP, best to you and Chabrell and the cats. Look at that. Uh, last weekend, the biggest controversy surrounded James Hinchcliffe holding up willpower. But I'm wondering if this exposed if this exposed some big arrow issues with the current car. Hinch was way off the pace all day for reasons I never saw explained, but was able to keep power about two to three seconds behind him till a caution came out. Seems like a car that far off the pace shouldn't be able to do that. And it made me wonder if any on-track um, passes for the lead would even be possible outside of a restart. Is this primarily an aero dependency issue? Uh, are there things that can be done with the next-gen car to make it easier to pull up and pass? So let's start from behind. Yes, there are certainly things that can be done. Uh, they're known, and I would expect the next-generation car to have uh, a much greater reliance on underbody downforce than topside wing downforce, which is what makes drag and dirty air and that turbulence just tends to make it very hard for a car that's following to uh, get close enough and then pass um, without getting stuck behind and ruining their uh, their tires trying to keep the car under control. Um, I would not agree with Hinch being way off the pace. If he was way off the pace, he would have been passed. The problem here was actually the opposite. Hinch was fast. Not fast enough to... Uh, say match will if we're just talking they're on total opposite ends of the track and start at the same time and record 10 laps in a row power certainly going to be faster he was faster than everybody but the issue here was not that hinch was way off the pace it's that he had too much pace for a car that was last on the lead lap and fighting to not go down a lap also and I haven't spoken to Hinch about this. I'm just looking at past history as spoken about on the broadcast, as Will complained about Colton Herta certainly wanted to win him a motor race and definitely with one of Colton's teammates in front of Will, hey, uh, it's not like Hinch was going so slow that it was truly like he's having to block him and he's doing all kinds of stuff, you know, to, to fart around and, uh, complicate power's life just to give colton uh, a chance he was able to go fast enough to deserve being where he was on track while also limiting power's ability to go 100 percent flat out now do i have any insights about radio communications multi-21 codes or anything that might have been spoken to tell Hinch to go as fast as possible, but not enough uh, to get away from power. Just be there enough to help Colton. And maybe, again, I can't tell you about any of that. I haven't had the time, really, or interest to try and research and listen to in-car uh, audio exchanges. Right, Just be clear about, I want to be clear about that. But I can tell you this, man. If Colton Hurt is leading the race, and he's coming up on Will Power, who's had a bad day and is the last car in the lead lap. And behind Colton is Joseph Newgarden, who wants to win a motor race and a championship. And Will Power is running fast enough to not warrant pulling over 
or being shown the the blue passing flags get out of the way you're you're hindering things kid uh flip the scenario trade those two andretti cars for two penske cars and put colton herta as the leader wanting to get past a willpower so he is not having his lead torn into by new garden could i see the same exact scenario happening yes or again, trade the teams. I'm not limiting this to Andretti and Penske. Uh, throw in a Ganassi, throw in a Ray Hall, throw in a Carpenter, a McLaren. Um, I can see this exact thing playing out with every other team. So this is why I don't look at the Hinch situation as anything specific to him. So I'm not trying to give him a pass. I'm not. Tr- there's none of that. It's just how, if you're a somewhat veteran fan of motor racing you've seen this play out many times whether it's formula one whether it's nascar whether it's wherever where you've got multi-car teams uh yeah hey is there a way to kind of screw things up for the leader a little bit to let my guy who's chasing him maybe get closer and maybe win i mean it's an old story nothing new uh again i i would push back on the notion that Hinch was way off the pace. If he was, he would have been passed. Uh, we've seen, just to close on this quickly, Wilfla29 from the Reddits. For a track that doesn't excite a lot of people, there's a lot of passing that takes place. We have seen many, hey, you started deep in the pack and charged forward and look at this and look at that and how you manage your push to pass and your tire strategy. And uh, there are some tracks that are certainly track position uh, circuits. I just know that it seems like every time at an Indy road course race, there's one or more drivers who are passing their behinds off to correct a poor qualifying or a penalty or whatever else. And I, I just don't see some of that uh, being a limitation here. Uh, Ed Joris says, last week you said it was too early to talk about the Alex Pillow blown engine trend. He says, is it still too early? Thanks, Ed. I know that you always keep scoring this stuff, so I, I appreciate you for that. Uh, and is there anything about running an engine lean for as long as he did that could be a contributing factor? I know that that's a, certainly a concern. I checked in today, and there was no answer yet as to what caused what to uh get mangled internally but yeah uh i know that if you run a karting motor too lean for too long in extremely short races you're talking about a stuck piston and the thing breaking so having to do that for 60 something laps in an indycar race for an hour plus uh it wouldn't surprise me if having to you know starve the engine of that excess cooling alcohol-ish type fuel, um, I would not be surprised if having to run lean the whole time uh, could have certainly contributed. So, yeah, um, the guy's motor was one race weekend and three quarters of a eighty percent of a race weekend old. Not much. Uh, Went in fresh, new, zero mile for Nashville after the the motor that they used, or after their motor blew in testing. 
uh, in Portland. And so his replacement failed as well. Uh, I, again, I'm just having to go off of past trends and history and chronology and would say that, yeah, having the mapping issue and having to run lean from the start of the race for 60 ish laps. Um, boy, it would be a surprise if that wasn't the leading factor or contributor to that motor braking. So without that happening, um, I don't think we're talking. I think we're talking about Alex Pillow, the guy who finished on the podium. And boy, he's sitting kind of pretty. Just have to be smart and manage the last, uh, last four races in the guy's title winner. Uh, w M W Mahan from Reddit says, Marshall, best regards to you and your family. Thank you. Keep fighting brother. You have an army of us with you. I know that I know that. And that is such an amazing and cool thing. I really, um, I don't know. I don't know what I do to deserve y'all. I really don't, but <sighs> thank you. Question's pretty simple. How in the world does Graham Ray Hall have such an issue of putting up a good qualifying time and qualifying? And I just said that redundancy, not you. Uh, putting up a good time in qualifying. This isn't really a 2021 issue. It seems to be an ongoing issue. Is it the team? Is it Graham? The guy runs his tail off and races well. I feel if he was consistently in the fast six, we may be talking about a championship. Totally, totally, totally. Um, asked him about some of that. And he said, look, we were a bit lost coming out of final practice, or I guess the practice. Uh, and so we just guessed, you know, we threw something at it for qualifying and missed. So we just totally missed on the setup. Um, he then, They then got that back a bit, uh, found something better that was usable for the race, and he did typical Graham Rahal things and went forward. So, yeah, I've written about it. Others have written about it. Graham has said it for a couple years now. If and when they can get the qualifying portion of their weekends figured out, and I'm talking road and street courses, um, they are instant title contenders. I don't know if they're going to win a championship, but they would be instant title contenders if he had to do less of the starting 16th driving to 7th starting 14th driving to 4th starting 19th driving to 8th um one of the great gifts that i I mentioned here in my cool down lap column is if there's a positive to all this it's for fans because whether you like graham rahal or not it's almost a guarantee in every race the dude is going to be throwing down somehow and pulling off passes over and over again to move forward to compensate for a bad day in qualifying. So it would be worse for fans if he and the team got this stuff figured out, but for his benefit, and I hope he can retire at some point whenever as a champion, um, this is it. Like, truly, if there's one thing for the team to focus their energies on over the offseason, to spend their R&D money on, to spend their whatever on, 
to have a performance engineer or multiple performance engineers focus all of their energies on. It is, what do we do with Graham Rahal? I'm not talking about the entire team, not talking about teammates, whatever else. I'm talking about, I mean, he's their leader. I realize Taku's won 2,500s. Totally get that. No disrespect meant. But Graham's been there the longest, is going to continue to be there the longest. That's him. He's the lead dog. He's also sitting sixth in the championship right now. Uh, Top driver within the team. So this is the one Achilles heel. This is their kryptonite. How do you remove that kryptonite and therefore improve their finishes at the vast majority of the events on uh, every season's IndyCar calendar? If anything other than that is the focus of their off-season R&D efforts and investigations, um, I someone seriously needs to tender their resignation because it's the one and only thing keeping them from serious glory. Uh, let's go to our pal Jeremiah S C H N from the good old Twitters MP. Did you consider Christian Lungard's first start a successful weekend and any chance he drives full-time next season for RLL or another team? What a intriguing debut for a guy that basically nobody in IndyCar knew. Uh, fans, no real grasp of whether this was a living human being before he came on the IndyCar radar. Like, again, no disrespect to the kid, but like, hey, just not a thing. Not a guy that anyone really knew about. And to show up and boom, be right there. Qualify P4, run well, suffered a little bit in the race, just inexperienced, right? Uh, he said it. It was pretty clear. Yeah, hey, I didn't know, you know, how hard to push on the various tires I was on. Uh, didn't want to make the rookie mistake of going too hard and burning them down and, you know, just being a, a, a wreck for uh, the rest of that stint. So, you know, uh, a little bit conservative. That bit him uh, a wee bit. Graham, on the other hand, he and Graham were on the same tire strategy. Graham aced it, absolutely executed perfectly. Uh, so you could see what Lungard's possibilities were with more experience that he could have been right there top six for sure. So that's my main takeaway. Uh, as Mr. Ray Hall, as Bob told me in Monterey, it's a one-off. No other plans for the kid to be in the car this year. Uh, I know that they're clearly keen on him. Also got the impression from some of the questions that I asked and the how the responses were delivered that this was a cool thing. Um, wouldn't say that this is an indicator of some big pipeline coming from the Alpine F1 Academy or whatever else, or that Christian Lingard's future uh, is, you know, Hey, just head to St. Pete next year. Uh, you'll see him on the grid for his first race of a full season IndyCar campaign. Um, Possible, sure, but the tone that I got from some of the answers to the questions that I posed, keeping in mind none of them were direct answers, just having to read between the lines a little bit, is you know, this kid really does have Formula One aspirations. He's not ready to give up on F1 hopes, just not 
totally sure because i think alpine has like nine young drivers or whatever like you know hey we need half the grid to place them um i don't know where he might end up uh if it's not with ray hall i don't know how many other teams or or would all of a sudden be looking to him you know one race he did very well no doubt but is that enough for a team to commit a full season uh, who didn't run him and don't know, you know, only one team got the inside look and feel as to how the kid works and so on and so forth. Um, I don't think that's enough to get other teams to bite uh, and sign them up. Um, so we'll see. Uh, obviously, they wouldn't have had him there if they didn't think that there was something. But uh, I'm confident that there are some other drivers are looking at for their third entry to uh, go along with Graham and Jack Harvey. So I guess the real answer from hashtag me personally here, Jeremiah is I wish we could see him in another race. I wish we could see him at a Laguna Seca super low grip, right? Passing is crazy hard there. Let's say, let's see how you do there where you're not going to have grip, you're not going to have gummy tires. It's just, if you're going to perform well, it's because you wielded a vehicle to such a really high level. Laguna Seca humbles the majority of the field every time, every year, for many years, no matter what series, because the track surface is so worn and polished. Uh it really demands the best to get the most out of the track. IMS road course, not so much. So how does Christian Lingard perform in a track that is not his friend, is not going to help, and your skills with car control, setup, all these things are going to be put to the ultimate test. And then in the race, where it is very hard, very, very hard to pass, how do you do there? Um I think that's the thing, Jeremiah, that has me just holding back a little bit. Clearly, the kid defied all expectations. Holy cow. No one knew what to think, what to expect. Boom. Right? Great. Let's see a little bit deeper waters uh, before I'd say others would be truly interested in trying to onboard him for a full season. Uh, let's see. Jamie Carr, you're wanting to know about the uh, the difference between uh, NASCAR and IndyCar rubber, um, both series and drivers talking about being affected by each other's uh, rubber going down between sessions and whatnot. Uh, it is uh, something that's just common and accepted. It happens with our beloved Cooper tires. When Indy Lights, Indy Pro, USF 2000, whatever, if they're out running around a bunch and putting down rubber and then IndyCar follows or the other way around, yeah. Um, while these are tires and they're all made out of rubber, all rubber is not the same in terms of the compound that just, this is not something that's perfectly matchy, matchy. Have you ever, I don't know, Velcro is a really common item used in motor racing. So what I'm about to say might be strange for those who really don't interact with it much, but there are a lot of different types of Velcro. There's the really 
easy to remove type. There's slightly grippier, harder to disengage type. There's the, you need a pry bar. That's the kind we use most often in racing to separate type of Velcro. And the interesting thing is if you take the really kind of soft, the weak sauce Velcro and try and stick that to the, oh my gosh, you need a freaking pry bar and a flamethrower to get it apart, uh, Velcro, they don't stick. They don't match. Uh, and you can try all the different combinations, but really it's just a case of, no, you have to have the exact type of complementing Velcro to stick together and form that tight bond. Kind of in the same vein, Jamie, here with different types of uh, tire brands competing on the same track and putting down rubber. Um, It's all the same rubber, but they don't necessarily match and stick together the right way. So that's the best analogy I can give. It's also just something where it's it's just been this way forever, <laughs> right? Nothing new in the sport. It's been this way forever. It's, and it could be a Trans Am that's there on Pirelli rubber. It could be the Itamitsu MX, Global MX-5 cup or whatever on whatever rubber. They you Totally normal. Every almost every single race weekend, you have differing types of tire brands putting down rubber on the track, and the series that follows always has to deal with it. So, um, normal stuff, my friend. Uh, Brian Dywert, did I pronounce that correctly? If not, I apologize, Brian. And I'm talking about your first name, of course. I know I nailed the last name. Uh, hey, Marshall, positive vibes for you, your wife, and your two meowsers. Look at that. Cats are getting all the love today. Uh, During the triple header at IMS, several drivers from both NASCAR and IndyCar expressed how great it was to have both series at the same track on the same weekend. Kevin Harvick even expressed how much such weekends could be special if weekends like this could be rotated to different tracks. Says hashtag me personally. I love this idea as it would get IndyCar on tracks. It would be unlikely to go on such as, say, the Charlotte Roval, the Daytona Road Course, or to get IndyCar uh, back at tracks, I believe they raced at, um, but just don't go back to like maybe a Watkins Glen. Are we being too emotionally positive towards a bad idea? Or with enough cooperation between series and TV network, could one or two joint weekends rotating around be a positive thing for both series? Awesome question, Brian. This is the kind of stuff I have been calling for, and I know others have as well. I'm not unique in calling for it. But this is something I've been calling for for years. And it's not it's never been specific to it must be NASCAR and IndyCar. It's let's do the motor racing Lollapalooza uh, name whatever uh, big music festival that happens to be your favorite Let's do that type of treatment. Let's do the motor racing Coachella and overserve fans of motor racing with different types of things all coming together to celebrate the fans, right? 
I realize that we've replaced the Brickyard 400, which just has a once illustrious race fallen any farther than the Brickyard 400. Um, Replace that with a road course. I know it was a bit strange, but folks ended up liking it after a while. Uh, You got Xfinity there. All those things are amazing, Uh, truly. So you say, hey, NASCAR, most popular form of racing in the country. Great. You know if you hold one of those races, it's going to get more fans than any other type of racing. Well, you do it at the true home of IndyCar racing, and you have IndyCar there, and they're kind of mid-card, or I don't know what you call it, or where we fit exactly, but um, I loved it. And I do absolutely think this needs to happen more. I keep trying to get IndyCar and IMSA to do more together. I don't know exactly why, but I get a lot of answers of, yeah, maybe, and if we could, and, you know, but there's some, you know, constraints and blah, 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 blah. All, frankly, answers of how I don't think it's going to happen. But (sighs) this, to me, was such an encouraging thing, Brian, of... All right, the guy who owns the track, who has all the influence in the world and is obviously a cup team owner, has the ability to say, look, we're doing it. (laughs) This is ours. If you want to be here, great. We'd love to have you. We're going to change things up a bit. Uh, But we're going to do this. And TV rating, got to admit, decent for IndyCar. Not amazing. Okay, got it. So from a watching it standpoint... It didn't exactly resonate a ton. But the general premise of let's hold a motor race, let's bring things together that maybe wouldn't always be together. Or if they have been together and they work well, if it's racing's equivalent of peanut butter and jelly, well, damn it, let's feed people peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. The PB&J 500, whatever it is, let's go do it. And so, hey, what was missing? Stadium super trucks. Trans Am should have been there. Uh, uh, MX5 Cup, right, should have been there. MX5 Cup might have been the most popular race of the weekend if they were there. Please tell me they weren't there and I just missed it because if so, I'm so mad at myself when I got some YouTubeage to uh, to go find and watch. But this is a thing that I love, Brian. It is the tearing down of territorial walls of racing series trying to beat up on each other and, and kill one another. The let's go to different places. Let's go to Portland. Hey, NASCAR cup, not trucks cup. Let's go to Portland. You're going to pack the place. There's so many NASCAR fans out here on the West coast. You, it, it, you'd truly be surprised. I know the Sonoma race doesn't always reflect that, but truly, uh, deep woodsy places have massive NASCAR fans. Sonoma's not totally woodsy, semi. Uh, but a Pacific Northwest NASCAR race with IndyCar and with, I don't know, freaking dragsters. There's a drag strip at Portland. Something like blow it up and not modern. No, let's do vin- a vintage drag racing event. Like this is the stuff where I go, you got to do it. Because thinking you can just show up as your one and only series and, hey, we're the single headliner and, you know, we're the big attention draw. 
um, and it, realize that there are a lot of fans sitting at home going, oh, well, that's cool, but, you know, it's not totally my thing. Give people their thing. Come up with creative plans. Last thing I'll mention on this, Brian, then I'll, we'll move on to some other topics. Being at Monterey last weekend for what used to be known as the Historics, it's the Rolex Monterey Motorsports Reunion. I think it's my, I don't know how many years, 10th, 12th time, 13th in a row, whatever, covering it. Uh, I've been going there instead of whatever IndyCar IMSA race for a super long time because it's really important, and it's been important to my clients. So that's where I've been. So by chance, it also happens to be you know one of my home tracks. But the things you see there, they stir the soul. I realize for those of you who've been racing fans for a year, two years, three years, you might go to the reunion and be totally lost on why anybody would give a fart because you might have zero attachment to any of the cars because you're a newish fan to the sport. Totally get it. Again, no issues there. But what you're watching now in the indie cars that you love now, the indie lights, maybe you love other forms of racing, whether it's because that you love the driver and therefore you love the car, or the car looks amazing or it sounds great, whatever it is. Those vehicles in the next 10 years are going to be at vintage events and 20 years from now. And as you get older and have some nostalgic feelings for things that you love uh, from motor racing, that's what's going to be at the reunion. And then for those of you who are really hardcore about racing, and I assume all of you who listen are hardcore about racing, you spend time reading books, uh, going on the good old Googles and finding websites and whatever else to learn about the stuff way before, maybe before you were born, learning about whatever drivers and vehicles and teams and series and some of those iconic cars, right? Like Porsche 917s were featured at Pebble Beach uh, this past weekend during the uh, Monterey Car Week. I mean, I might have been one or two years old the last time a 917 ran at the 24 Hours of Le Mans. So I have no direct attachment to them from witnessing them in person. But from all that I've seen, read, experienced of them at vintage events, you name it. I mean, these are some of the most iconic racing vehicles ever, of all time, any series, you name it. And I just, I melt into a puddle whenever I see one or hear one. And I've had the good fortune, thanks to my friend Bruce Canepa, to uh, do some in-car video and audio and touch one and like, you know, like, oh my, what am I doing? Like, what? I'm working in the back of a 917 cable tying an audio recorder to the spare wheel and tire. Like, I'm on a car that's worth, you know, go to auction. If you get anything less than $25 million, there's something wrong here, right? But these are cars that existed well before I did. The world fell in love with them. Everyone hails them as the greatest things ever. You see them and you're like, yeah, totally get it. I got it. So it's that thing where for those who've loved IndyCar, and I'll say it for NASCAR and IMSA and whatever else, like one of the great failings of modern motor racing, which fits exactly into your premise here, Brian, and that of Kevin Harvick and others of this kind of Let's do a, a motorsports jam where you bring it all together. It's motorized Coachella. We're going to go, uh, granted, Coachella's at the same place, Derek, but 
we're going to move around to some different tracks, go to some different places, alter the lineup of what series. One of the things that fits in here everywhere and will work every time is when we have my pal Mike Lashmitt and the Vintage Indie Registry group that bring out their Vintage Indie cars uh, or the Vintage Trans Am group or the Vintage Can-Am or Formula Ford or, or, or or just a, a overarching large vintage racing organization, HMSA, HSR, CSRG, SVRA, a lot of acronyms here. I apologize. But, hey, IndyCar, you're going to again, name the place, Gateway. Great. You know, IndyCar has been going to Gateway for a little while. Uh, we know that Vintage Indy Registry was become a really good partner there. You get to see some old-time Indy cars going around. It's amazing. Uh, then where do we go from there? We go to Portland. Indy cars been going to Portland for a long time. Where's the vintage Indy cars there? Hey, we're going to Laguna Seca. Same thing. Where's the honoring and tradition of our open-wheel past there? And, right, because how many fans who might be like me and got some salt in your beard and, you know, been around for a little while and love this stuff, been through multiple IndyCar generations, have great direct attachments to the cars and drivers of the, quote, past. Why aren't the IMSAs and IndyCars and NASCARs and you name it bringing both worlds together at every race or as many races as possible so the new fans who know nothing about the past or history or very little Hey, if again, if you're at the event, you get to do those things, see and learn and become a more studied fan and hopefully just say, wow, that looks amazing or it sounds amazing. And this is so cool and get to enjoy your modern racing series as well. This to me, Brian fits in. It's a no brainer. If for the events where it's just straight up IndyCar, straight up, whatever individual series as the headliner, like this blending of past and present appealing to everyone where you go guess what grandpa used to love indycar but he doesn't really like it anymore and he doesn't know anybody and there's nobody named foyt uh, or andretti or unser racing anymore well guess what grandpa wants to come out because he's going to get to see the cars that made him fall in love with things and maybe he or grandma who loved whichever cars or drivers back in the day Maybe he and she or she can uh, get to know some of the new ones as well that you all happen to love. So really passionate about this topic, Brian. Uh, Hope that something along these lines happen. All right, we are going to pick up a little bit of steam here. And what am I going to do? I'm going to do something that I don't do all that often. I'm going to scroll to the bottom to the last question that Jim Kaiser has before me, before the red line of uh, no longer asking the questions. I'm going to start at the bottom and work up and see how far I can get in the next, I don't know how long, uh, but I do know that it's 9.20 p.m. and I need to go get dinner going for Mrs. Pruitt, who said, yes, go do the podcast, you dummy, but thought I was going to be done 20 minutes ago. Uh, Howard Bennett, Marshall, got to say congratulations to Robin Miller for his Hall of Fame entry and award. It's great to see the racer feature Photos of him and his sister Diane attending the ceremony and also the race. But a special mention has to go to his Nike tracksuit. He looked amazing. Some seriously dope threads. 
going on there, Robin? <sighs> Wrote about this in my cooldown lap. Sorry that I keep referencing that, but I'm just, it's what I did. Um, our mutual pal, Steve Shunk, was texting me photos throughout the weekend while I was in Monterey. And so the photos of Robin sitting in, I don't know, he's always doing the talking, but talking with Jeff Gordon and whomever else, uh, talking with Jimmy Johnson and Scott Dixon and Kyle Larson here and Mario Andretti giving him a giant hug and him uh, there and the other place and you name it, just being thrown into a Indianapolis-sized blanket of love and appreciation is it was is almost too much howard to uh to absorb without like needing to compose myself telling you nothing close to a secret that i love myself some robin miller the most inappropriate human being i've ever met he is a walking me too movement he is a walking uh calamity lawsuit someone who uh, lovingly referred to as uh, HR speed dial guy, right? Like, I mean, just every single thing that is no longer acceptable in modern culture, he is. Like, the earth would cancel him if the earth could participate in cancel culture. Um despite all of his ways oddly enough guy doesn't smoke guy doesn't drink guy right like you figure someone as inappropriate as him would have some serious vices he accepts and acknowledges he's a degenerate gambler that's fine uh but um pretty much doesn't like water lives on pepsi i realize and i hope that's changed in recent years but um the most finicky eater I know, despite loving some of the things where you go, like, I wouldn't give that to a death row inmate, man. And yet he can't get enough of it. Um, he is the man of a million dichotomies. And love him, love him, love him. Uh, I've said it on the show. I've written it. I've whatever it is. Uh, he has meant so much to me. He has been a modern era Ricardo Pinheiro in helping me to learn and develop doing what I do, not so much in a, hey, Marshall, do things this way in your new career as a writer and reporter, but just observing how he does things, how he doesn't do things, the things that he does that I don't agree with, and so I do the opposite. Just, again, in so many ways... He has informed how I do what I do. Um, seeing him, Howard, just being showered with love and adoration and respect. Him being him. He is the person who holds court. He is the judge. He is the bailiff. Uh, he is the court reporter. He is the everything. Seeing Robin sitting with 
legend A, B, C, and D surrounding him, and their mouths are closed, his mouth is way the hell wide open, and that spark in his eye, seeing those photos, uh, Shunk was sending along over and over and over again. That makes me so happy all while wearing that track suit right somebody bought that for him he didn't buy it for him like let's just be clear um i'm just happy he walks out most days with with more than just his underwear on um but that was just such a beautiful thing howard and i don't want to keep coming back to the sad part but we know he knows he does not have a lot of those opportunities left in life where the racing world comes together and congregates on his doorstep. And he gets to go from his home to the circuit that is his and be the most celebrated person there and get to hold court, tear people apart, tell the greatest, craziest stories, laugh, and just have people running to be near him because he is one of one never (laughs) ever will this world have anything similar to robin miller and so boy uh just made my heart so full to see him in his element with his people motor racing people are his oxygen and then to be bestowed entry into the Motorsports Hall of Fame of America. Little sidebar, and I guess I shouldn't tip my hand here. Uh, I'm on. I'm one of the v- members of that uh, voting committee, and believe it or not, uh, I voted for Robin for a couple years now, uh, and I'm glad that uh, he was finally inducted. Um, just beautiful. Um, only regret is this didn't happen five or 10 years ago because, uh, let's be frank. There's nothing Robin has done in the last five or 10 years to warrant entry into that hall of fame or to receive the love and adoration he's getting now that he hadn't done back then or 10 years before that. So if there's one slight regret, it's that he won't have more time to bask in the love that he's receiving to such a high degree, but nonetheless, he's receiving it and he's receiving it. He's feeling it. It's penetrating and infusing him with love and light and everything that he deserves. So beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Going to scroll up here. Windy car says for the gateway, race weekend and this is in honor of uh, carl hogan and his uh, general st louis based trucking company will you tell us some carl hogan stories i don't have many it's only with the team for a year um wasn't even a full season as i remember but um yeah he didn't know who the hell i was that's for sure and again you know i never claimed to have been the least bit important with anything i did in motor racing or now just I got a microphone, and some of you are silly enough to listen. But um, loved Carl because he was one of the few team owners who had—I don't know if I want to say he had true fu money. He had a lot of money. 
but he didn't have like crazy money, but he had enough money to be able to do things however he wanted and was not afraid to tell people to F, to F off. I loved that about him. Wasn't always to his benefit. Uh, he, a big guy, big meaty, you know, ugh. if he was cast as a Chicago gangster going up against Al Capone and whatever Hollywood film back in the day, you'd totally buy him as that character. Um, wasn't always to his benefit. Very emotional guy ran very hot and cold. Uh, his F you, I'm breaking up with you and going somewhere else doing my own thing. I mean, it, although he achieved success one, uh, you know, was a championship winner with Bobby Ray hall. Uh, there was definitely more success to be had in IndyCar, but didn't quite get there. But, um, at least for right now, the only funny story, and it's not necessarily a Carl specific story, but being with the Hogan team story that stood out as funny to me was remember working with, uh, God, I don't remember who it was in the IRL that year. Um, we had a really simple system for plugging in and unplugging the data cable. Uh, to just download the onboard data. So this is in an era where the IRL cars used the uh, naturally aspirated 4-liter V8 Oldsmobile and Nissan engines that were the loudest things just that open-wheel racing's ever had. You know, like NASCAR levels of just, like, deafening. So during your average practice session at whatever stupid oval we were at, you just couldn't hear a damn thing. Um, quite often. And so got to a really simple place of, yeah, we have headsets and we have all, but again, by no means guaranteed that every single time someone said something, there was going to be complete clarity because it's just deafening. And so just got to a really simple system of, okay, um, it might, and it, and I say this truly, I'm not trying to just give a random plug where it doesn't belong, but it was some form of, I think justice brothers, could have been fuel treatment whatever the the metal can was screw top can was i just remember grabbing one and putting we had some green tape and some red tape and so i just put green tape on half the bottle and red tape on the other half on the other side and just for the sake of simplicity and clarity because back then, again, older data system, having a plug-in takes a little while to download. This is like true Windows 98-era laptops. Um, it might have even been Win 95 for all I know. Take a minute or two. It'd take a little while. So the plug-in, don't plug-in from the crew member going over the wall, and I realized that sometimes I went down and did it myself uh, when I was a data engineer, assistant engineer. Uh, but just remember that, It'd just be a real simple, like, okay, since radio communications can't necessarily always be relied upon here with just the sheer volume and craziness, we're just going to go to the bottle system. So going to turn around. It's going to be red while we're downloading. And once I've ripped all the data off uh, the, the Pi system, I'll spin it around to green, and that's the signal to pull the download cable all done. And just remember at one of the races with Hogan, yeah, again, I think it was 99 in cart. I think it might have been like Vancouver. I don't know if it was rain 
I don't know if there's water in our radio systems or what, but I just remember uh, that there was some sort of communication issue here in terms of download, not download. And I'll also be super honest because I'd have to spend some time really trying to think back. I mean, I know that I was there helping on the engineering side. I think it was not so specific to being an assistant engineer. I mean, I know that I did a lot of things from helping to dress engines to whatever, whatever. But I do remember there being some sort of definite problem of understanding of when to plug in or unplug or whatever was going on. And I just remember the ding, hey, red light, green light, and grabbed a bottle of something and said, hey, see this? Hey, when download, yes, green is when you can pull. But if you're downloading, no, and it's still going on and you shouldn't unplug, it's red. And just remember that that became the thing. And so just spinning this bottle between green and red whenever the car pitted, uh, I just remember that being something where I felt like, hey, I I just contributed something that is so low-tech in the highest-tech open-wheel racing series in North America. And, you know, at that time, you know, we, we were certainly rivaling Formula One. Uh, here we are. With all this money and all this lavish stuff and, you know, technology run amok. And you know what? Let's just go stupid simple. Red light, green light. And it worked. And so, yeah, that just comes to mind. So, again, I know it's not specific to uh, Carl and the team and all that. Uh, and Gateway and the general St. Louisness of, of it all. But that comes to mind. So, hopefully, that will do. Let's go to Jonas Magnuson. How you doing, Jonas? MP with the increased car count hashtag me personally thinks measures measures should be taken to make sure all drivers are competent enough to ensure the overall quality of the field. Something similar to a super license, for example, I know there is a rookie orientation for ovals, but shouldn't the same apply to tight street courses like Nashville? I feel like we're talking about a specific driver or two without mentioning them. Jonas, um, Having a driver disqualified for being too slow just seems unnecessary or should maybe a penalty point system be introduced for causing avoidable collisions, causing full course yellows. One way to increase the value of the Cooper tires road to Indy would be having the top three or top five finishers in Indy lights rewarded with a license to compete in IndyCar. Uh, That would of course require that Indy lights had the right mix of oval street courses and road courses. I love the the overall premise here, uh, Monsieur Magnuson, of quality, a, a true filter of quality being used. Can't argue with a lot of your premises here. On a hashtag me personally note, though, you might know that I'm not the overregulation guy. All right, we need to put in this whole matrix of in order to do this, you got to qualify for that, and you got to do this thing and get one of those and be awarded this. I'm not that guy. So, do I think a more stringent filter of I know that you want to enter the race, I know that you've submitted an entry for the race, I don't know if this is the right race for you. 
Do I think IndyCar just needs to be a little bit harsher? Yes. Right? Cody Ware, who I don't think did a terrible job at Nashville, given all the circumstances, first this, first that, the most bite you in the behind track we've gone to all year, um, it turned out to be something that was a bit over his head. Okay, understand that. Could that have been predicted beforehand? I feel like it could. The bumpiness and upsetting the car and everything else, I'd been hearing about that for a while from those who were using simulators to prepare for the event of like, hey, this is real, y'all. This is no joke. This isn't just some fast zoomy, let's go back and forth across a bridge and it's just, it's going to be like slot cars stuck to the circuit. It's hearing the exact opposite. So if I'm hearing that and I'm not a race car driver or a team owner or an engineer or a person running the series, if my dumb self is hearing that long before the event, this should not have been a mystery. So yeah, um, I don't disagree with you here in the general premise of stricter filter being applied, but I think there also has to be a bit of a situational thing, you know? Um, we didn't know who Alex Polo was before he showed up. Yeah, of course he did good. Japan, uh, of course he was good in super formula. It wasn't necessarily setting the world on fire, but you know, the folks in IndyCar don't have a real gauge or understanding of super formula and what a great driver there would equate to fitting in among IndyCar drivers. Truly. I mean, I guarantee you nobody at IndyCar had a clue of who Alex Polo was or how he might fit and play among the others. Obviously tested for coin things went well and Hey, off he goes. And he was driving in a high enough level in Japan where, again, uh, seemed like, yep, everything's fine. But there was a true, well, I guess we're going to find out at that opening race. you know. And I realized that there was testing beforehand, and I realized some of these things where IndyCar got a gauge for who he was. But I'm just saying, you know, there's some leaps of faith taken with some drivers where they haven't had a chance to see them come up the road to Indy or, hey, yeah, of course, We've seen you, you know, uh, working the European F1 ladder, and boy, your name stands out. Christian Lingard realized that he won two races there, but hasn't exactly been set in the world of light this year. I'd say it's probably more team-based than driver-based, but still, you know, he didn't come here with the reputation of, oh, my God, we finally got Christian Lingard here, Right? That wasn't the thing. He made people stand up and take notice once he got here, but it does speak to your point, Jonas, of there's a little bit of faith involved. So maybe instead of adding licensing and if you're the top this, you can come in, but if you're not in the top whatever, you can't in lights or this or that. Um, Maybe it's just more of a, yeah, let's be honest. Do we want Cody Ware making his street course debut at Nashville? I know it's important for them. Nashville's a big town, big everything. We know it has great value for them. Is this in the best interest of the series, though? And do we have to say, hey, we love you, 
We want you to keep racing. Why don't you come see us the following weekend at the Indy Road Course? That's on IndyCar. I don't. That's not on Dale Coyne. That's not on Rick Ware. It's not on Cody Ware. That's on IndyCar. Um, there's a faith-based element to quite a few of the drivers that are allowed to come and play. Would we say, has there been a race or two where Jimmy Johnson might have been over his head a bit? Could have been subject to being yanked or whatever, very possibly. It's a it's a tricky thing. And with IndyCar undergoing the aforementioned growth, um, I can only imagine this would get harder to apply because you don't want to look like, hey, we're getting bigger and everyone loves us, but we're losing some of the quality in that process. Um, just think some harder decisions might need to be made if we're going to maintain that quality, and I agree that it needs to be maintained. Uh, Andy Bauer says, Continued prayers for your wife and you. Thanks, man. Uh, regarding a visit to Pit Lane in Nashville, during a yellow not being much of a hit to the track position, why is that a bad thing? It's hashtag me personally. I found the strategy shakeup refreshing, and it's the same for everyone. Um, he says, obviously, they'll need to uh, watch or abuse. Cue the Bojangles drive through uh, tune, but just because we're used to yellow flags and pit stops hurting track position doesn't mean we have to have that everywhere. Am I missing something? You know what, Andy? I like that approach, man. I, I think you might have nailed this one. Yeah, maybe there's a race or two per year where... It's almost the equivalent of a joker uh, in some series. You know, you need to properly use strategery on when you're going to pit, and it might actually move you forward a little bit. Um, I like your I like your approach on this. Shauna Oakwood. How you doing, Shauna? I always love it when you send in questions. She says, MP, lots of good thoughts for you and your wife. I know this is uh, the week in IndyCar, but can we have a quick attaboy to Sage Karam? His Xfinity debut started well. Any idea what the status of Dry and Reinbold and Sage might be? Since they were working uh, towards a full season again, now we only got them for Indy. Any news? Don't have any news. I do know that in an unpublished interview where I did mention Dry and Reinbold, uh, the fine man who is Rob Buckner, who uh, is in charge of Chevrolet's IndyCar program, did mention that... Uh, Dry and Reinbold Racing is very important to them, and uh, they absolutely plan on supporting them for whatever it is they might be doing in the future. So that just gave me a little smile on my face. So I don't have any updates, but boy, I would love to see someone consider a Dry and Reinbold if they're trying to get into the series not necessarily wanting to buy all the equipment and start everything from scratch. They might be the, the most forgotten team when folks are thinking of, Hey, we want to come in. Kids been doing well in lights or wherever. And, you know, we don't just want to pay someone to be a part of their team. We'd actually like to, you know, do a real partnership, maybe take a bit of an ownership stake, something, uh, become a real co-entrant, not just a, a payer for a person to be in a seat. I don't know if Dennis's operation gets enough thought when it comes to that. So uh, I de- that's not adding anything to the question that you've asked, Shauna. But I do think that they have built something that is quality 
and maybe deserves more attention in that regard. HRB2711 from Twitter. Uh, I'm not sure I recognize a question from you before, so if this is your first, thanks for sending that in. Uh, Between Romain Groschamp and Scott McLaughlin, who has the best chances of winning Rookie of the Year? Woo! Love me some Scotty McLaughlin and some Romaine Gross Gene. Um, at their present pace, knowing that they're only separated by seven points in the championship and that Romain will be contesting every round to close the year. I mean, there's one guy who's streaking and the other guy who's not. And I would love nothing more for Scotty to get back on track. Maybe Gateway is a great place for that to happen. Um, but just based on recent performances, you know, if we look at the last four, Romain has gone 5th, 7th, 16th. Uh, Nashville obviously wasn't everything he'd hoped for. But 5th, 7th, 16th, and 2nd. Scotty, 14th, 12th, 22nd, 23rd. Realize that, again, Nashville, certainly not his fault. He's knocked around quite a bit. But um, Scotty's been on a rough patch since Indy 500, and he needs to turn things around. I don't believe he's in any jeopardy for next year. I'm not saying it from that standpoint, but you don't want your rookie season to be unrelenting after a pretty darn good start. Um, so, yeah, and and he's so good that this should be more than possible. I just don't know what it's going to take for that breakthrough to happen. So with what's separating them, knowing that Romain is going to be, you know, in his natural element uh, at three of the last four races, those being road and street courses, I just have to believe Romain is going to come out ahead as our rookie of the year. I do hope that it's a proper fight though. Uh, I don't want Scotty just to have more disappointing performances and uh just to watch roman go by without any uh fight back whatsoever all right let's get um get a couple more questions here and then uh, i'm gonna say fair to the well daniel summers gill do you think that renus vk is still suffering from a cycling injury that kept him out of the road america round as he seems to have been nowhere since he came back to the series and eh, not so much the kid's just been performing at a higher level than I expected for where he's at. He's very young. He's immature. Don't say that as a criticism or whatever. Just, you know, he's still a pup and he's still got a ton to learn. And he's, I would say, uh, over delivered for where I expected him to be in year two. And with that also comes some, yeah, man, you're going to have some off weekends. Uh, There's still a lot of learning going on, but I don't think there's any physical limitations going on here. And the Carpenter team has been good. Uh, You know, one of the surprises coming back to the, the Indy Grand Prix was, you know, they weren't a super factor. They certainly were uh, the first time in May, Um Connor was their fastest driver in qualifying, was the the lead driver coming home in the race. That hasn't happened a ton when both cars are, you know, on track, unaffected, you know, no real 
major things to sideline them. Um, yeah, again, I, I look at a Renus, I look at a Pato, I look at some of these younger drivers, uh, even Colton. You know, Colton, not a lot, but he's had some races this year, had some last year where you go, yeah, a little bit off in the wilderness. Um, totally, for me, normal. Not an indictment of whether it's a, a physical issue rearing its head or, or otherwise. So do I think Renus could be on the pole and just smash everybody this weekend in Gateway? Totally. Absolutely. Uh, let's see. Cassie Johnston. How you doing, Cassie? Um, always appreciate when you are able to send in stuff, too. She says, do we know who is driving the Carlin entry this weekend at Gateway? I mean, if it was the fans' choice, I think we'd all like to see Connor Daly full send it into turn three like the proper maniac he is if it isn't connor i'd be really surprised cassie so i don't know uh i haven't asked i don't always get answers when i do uh but i mean if if it isn't connor who's it gonna be um i've i I understand he's been pretty okay there uh and also pretty good for them on ovals uh where do we go here the last uh, couple, uh, IndyFan200-217. Hey, MP, first time submitting a question. Thanks. This is Kyle Larson earning almost three hundred grand from winning the King's Royal in Knoxville Nationals. How many non-Indy 500 races would a driver need to win to match that? Well, the, the round number that I seem to recall for winning an IndyCar race is 30,000. So uh, you need to win 10 races, assuming... You take home prize money. Not every driver takes home prize money. Uh, not every driver gets a percent. Of those who do, you know, some get a percentage compared to all. I can't think of any that take all of it. None. Absolutely none. So, yeah, the real answer might be every IndyCar race to uh, come close to matching that number uh, outside the Indy 500. Uh, and then you say, also, if you heard anything about Larson running the 500 someday, Maybe Zach Brown should give him a call. Uh, our man Robin Miller wrote a an impassioned article about someone needing to do that. I've heard nothing about it. I calling Rick Hendrick. You do some pretty cool stuff in IMSA. What say you and your pals, whomever it might be, whether it's a Penske or an Ed Car? I don't even know if they're friends, but. There would seem to be some Chevy-based teams in IndyCar that sure would uh, be ripe for putting a additional car in the field. Co-entered with Mr. Hendrick. And how about that? Um, I would say this is more of a Rick Hendrick thing than a Kyle Larson thing. Um, if Mr. Hendrick wants to make it happen, which he certainly can and has the ability to do, and I am very confident Chevrolet would be behind this as well financially uh motors you name it um yeah i don't think this one is about kyle i think it's about the business and money to make it happen and the people behind those decisions all coming to an agreement that yes we're going to make that happen the idea of roger penske forking out three quarters of a million dollars or a million bucks to of his own money to put larson in the field that's not rp but do I think he'd be a conduit and help in in, in every way possible? Uh, I do. Uh, Mark Gillespie, you are... 
our penultimate questionnaire. Not 100% IndyCar, but given all the grief IMS is taking over that bleeping curb, talking about the one that broke up during the NASCAR race, is it fair to suggest that because of the magnitude Indy holds in the racing world, when there is a problem, it's blown well out of proportion? Examples, the U.S. Grand Prix Michelin tire fiasco, the NASCAR Goodyear tire fiasco a few years ago, and now the curb incident. Um, Hey, don't forget IndyCar's flying in 2015. Uh, if those happen anywhere else, the controversy dies down in a few days. But at Indy, the clutching of pearls skyrockets. I don't know how to answer this in any other way, my friend, than to say, yeah, of course, it's the Indy freaking 500. You know, if the roof falls in uh, an hour before players take the field at the Super Bowl, wherever it is, it's going to be a massive, massive thing because it's the Super Bowl. I could run you through a variety of other sports and their biggest events, and you go, yes, of course, it's Indianapolis. So the spotlight placed on major events there just blows everything else out of the water. So, of course, it's going to be blown out of proportion. Um, Plus, we live in a meme-generating world where anything that's embarrassing Anything where you can dunk on someone, anyone, anytime you can read someone. Uh, I mean, that's kind of what it feels like the world lives for uh, and uses social media as their vehicle to do that. So, hey, uh, I mean, what did I see? The a friend of mine sent me a clip someone had done of uh, the curb coming up, the cars crashing, and uh, intermixed with that is the days of thunder you know driving through the middle of the crash whatever that scene was uh you know drive through the center of it like and it was hilarious you know but yeah i mean this is kind of what the world lives for some something to laugh at at other people's expense so of course it's going to get blown out of proportion uh we're going to close with our pal john sable a lovely twitter handle of at john john sable says Alex Pillow is going to win this championship, right? His drive Saturday was champion-like, just bad luck. Can't see him losing another Honda engine this year. I just don't see him slipping or see the consistency from his rivals. Uh, Well spotted, John, but that's why you're a solid contributor of great questions and uh, introspection on your highly entertaining Twitter feed. So... Spoke with Mike Hull this morning. Got a call from somebody at Ganassi at 5 a.m. California. Hung up promptly. It was just the general number, not uh, you know someone specific extension from there. Thought it might have been Mike. Called him. He said, nope, wasn't me. I'm like, oh, okay, sorry. Well, while we're here, let's talk about life, the universe, and everything, as we often do. And one of the conversations that came up was, hey, This guy is known for being just still water. He is the ripple-proof driver. Doesn't mean he doesn't vent some frustration out of sight, but this is truly the most zen-like driver in the field almost. Blown engine, another engine penalty coming, could not happen to a better driver than him, Maybe the only other exception would be his teammate, Scott Dixon. And Mike was like, yeah, you're totally right. 
Uh, and he, again, I'm not saying that because he agreed with me. I'm just saying he's like, yeah, you're totally right. This is the guy who is not going to throw his helmet and get spun out mentally. And, oh, my God, here we are again, and everything's against me, and just tank himself uh, mentally through the bad fortune that's come his way. This is the guy, to our great surprise, at 24 years old or whatever, who is just an old soul. All right, cool. We'll we'll deal with it. You know, we're, we're not going to let this tear us down. We can't change what happened. It's done. We got to deal with it. So, hey, all we can do is go in the next race, right? And you go, wow, don't do that. That's freaky. You're 24. You should be out, like, you know, uh, drinking and, uh, you know, punching things and screaming at the world. Like, you're scaring me. That's not normal. But that's who he is. That's one of the many contributing factors, John, to why Alex Pelot is leading the championship and has all year long. Uh, The guy is just... He is on the firmest of foundations. And so far, we have not seen him knocked off of that foundation. What interests me, how do we close the season with his points margin halved 21 is not much. A win pays 50. You get a fastest lap. You get a pole. You leave the most. You could leave with a maximum of 54 points at every of the remaining races. He's got a 21 point lead. Uh, all he needs to do is, you know, have a not great day. He's going to lose six positions because they have to put in a new motor. Confirm that today with Honda. Uh, all he has to do is finish 10th and Pato, you know, win this weekend. And guess who's no longer leading the championship? And I'm just saying 10th as a distant number. I haven't actually looked at the numbers to figure out where Pato takes over the lead based on where he finishes and Alex does on Saturday night. But just saying, he's gone from having comfort to no comfort. And that could certainly rattle people. Let's wind it back to the opening topic of willpower. This is the kind of thing that I would fear would rattle a willpower. Or maybe a few other drivers who are prone towards negativity easy to get down on themselves, Um, easy to see the problems in life outweighing the good and letting that interfere with their their job. Alex is not that guy. Now, could it still happen? Of course. It's it's been inhuman, (laughs) but who knows? Maybe there's a human side. I don't know. The guy's not really a big mistake maker. Uh, It seems like he'd be the one to just have a really good race at Gateway this weekend. Losing six positions on an oval means nothing, right? That's not going to affect him in the same way it would on a road course. So the engine penalty, not really a factor, but I can see this guy going out and just driving as if there are no problems, as if he has no clue what the points are, how slim the advantage happens to be over Award and his teammate Dixon and Newgarden from Penske could not happen to the a better guy <laughs> it's such a weird thing to say john but yes two motors within weeks of themselves it's not great uh no belief that he has done anything drives in any kind of way to cause these things uh, just seems like 
stay with me here uh, on our way to the finish line. This has been the craziest IndyCar year in a long time, right? I tr- really just been nuts. Seemingly every single race, there's what going on? Once, twice, five times, you name it. Alex Pillow leading from start to finish. Maintaining a comfortable gap to second place and taking the checkered flag at Long Beach and being crowned champion, that would be the one outlier of this season if it were to play out that way, right? So since everything else has been freaking crazy, it would seem to fit the mold of whether it's Alex losing the championship this lead this weekend or having more adversity come his way or a satellite falling out of the sky and hitting his timing stand, not killing anybody, but just, you know, something like it can't be that thing where you go in a season where everything else is totally haywire. The guy lead, you know, the guy's lights to flag champ, there you go. Yeah, a little adversity at that one thing where the points gap came down a little bit. But for the most part, meh, Tiz, he got it. It just feels like, nah, uh, the universe is done with him. And I don't know if it's Alex specific, but just whomever might have been leading the whole time, I feel like the universe racing gods are like, nah, nope, 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 nope. We're going to make you fit everything else that's totally wacky, and we got more in store for you, pal. So I don't know what it is. Not saying the kid deserves any more bad luck, but I won't be surprised if we're talking about this on next week's show of can you believe what happened? And what does the kid have to do now to get his either lead back or it's down to two points or whatever else? Or knowing him, he might just go win the dang thing because that's been, Jesus, we can do this all night. That's been the other angle, right, John? Hey, Alex Pillow, nice kid. Had a decent season with coin. You know, seems like he's got what? He just won the opener. Okay, now he's won another one. He's leading the whole dang time. What? He's the most composed, uh, unflappable points earner, winner, championship leader that we can recall in quite a while. Wouldn't it also kind of fit that what is going on? Who are you? How are you doing this narrative to then have the guy maybe win another race or two, end the season with the most wins, and have the greatest, where the hell did you come from, to how did we not know you were Superman kind of thing? That could play out as well. Um, I don't know, John, but I, I do know that this kid is so special. Obviously, he's a great friend of the show. Uh, met, ran in and met some... Day fans at Nashville and again last weekend in the Indy Road Course and he's just been so sweet to everybody and he, again, love him to death all that stuff, truly just love the kid to death but I just don't know which direction to go either there's more punishment coming from the universe before maybe a big payoff for him or maybe a big rally and push by Pato, an amazing Aero McLaren SP as your IndyCar champions, like that'd be what it deserved too, but just what who who predicted that who would have coming into this second season of them working together um i joseph newgarden he's seemingly had the the 
big fight backs required the last two races and done amazing work to not fall too far behind in the championship. Dixon's been a little bit all over, uh, still looking for some of that. Let's go eviscerate people once or twice more and really get into the thick of the title hunt uh, thing again. I don't know, man. I don't want the season to end. There have been many IndyCar seasons recently where I'm like, yeah, I'm good. I feel like we've gotten all we need to out of this one and let's settle it and let's move on to the next. I don't want this one to end because I don't know if we're going to see anything quite like it again. So (sighs) thanks to y'all for riding with me. Thanks for letting me share a lot of home stuff, family stuff, um, some deeper thoughts and feelings. And I need to post that photo that a friend of mine took of Ricardo Pinheiro and I uh, last weekend, just so you can see, uh, just see him. He's the best. Um, Thanks to all of you for real. Uh, I'm going to say it every episode. Thanks to all of you for uh, this gift that you give me um, and us. Uh, It does. It means a lot. It really, really does. Uh, Cooper Tires, thank you. Justice Brothers, thank you. TorontoMotorsports.com, thank you. We got (sighs) Alien Life Form, known as William Jehoshaphat Power, coming to the show as our guest. I cannot wait. We're going to talk about racing. I haven't seen the questions yet that Jim Kaiser sent over, but I do hope there are some about aliens and documentaries and crazy stuff i just want to talk about him winning that's great but i want to spend most of the episode going off the deep end and if it's how our normal friend to friend conversations pan out um it should be it should be a thing (laughs) all right i'm marshall pruitt this is our marshall pruitt podcast can't wait to speak to y'all soon Thank you again.